This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. So yeah, I'm not Tim. My name, for those of you guys who I haven't met yet, is my name's Sean. My wife and here moved here about a month ago from Ethiopia. So we were missionaries there. And we have the privilege of serving here at Paradise. So filling in for our sick pastor. Um, we will pray for him and all of the people that are sick. It's kind of going around, right? Making it cycles and turns and all that. And then we're going to pray for those traveling. And what I like to do, especially on Sunday mornings, is pray for the church as a whole. You know, that we'd be faithful to preach the gospel, to connect people with the Word of God. Um, speaking of the Word of God, does anyone need a Bible? If you need a Bible, no worries. I've got one here, a couple here. Um, it's really a critical part of us growing in our relationship with God, knowing His heart, seeking His face. Um, so we, we'd love if anyone else needs one. Last call. Okay, so this morning we're going to pray for those that are sick. Join me in praying for that. Pray for those that are traveling because of the holidays. And we're going to pray for the church as a whole, that the truth of the Word of God and the gospel would go out and people would be built up because we need it this season. This is what it's about hope. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for being with us. We thank you that we got to celebrate Thanksgiving this week with family and friends and, um, and other people. And we just pray, God, that the conversations and the seeds that were planted, um, ways that people encouraged would just continue to be sustained, Lord that as people travel back to their individual states and cities and things like that, Lord, that you give them safe travel. Pray that you go before them, Lord. And I pray, God, especially, Lord, for those that don't know you, that as they would go back and they were impacted in some small way for people praying for them or having conversation with them, that they would come to know you, Jesus. We pray for our pastor and all of those that are sick this morning. We pray, God, that you'd put your hand of healing upon them and heal them according to your ability and your will, Lord. We just acknowledge that you're at work and that this is part of being in this body that's decaying, Lord. But we look forward to the, our future home and kingdom with you, Jesus. And Lord, we pray for the church as a whole this morning. It's Sunday. So many congregations across this city, across this state, across this nation, and across the world are meeting. I pray, Lord, for people to come to know you, Lord, that people would be built up with you, Lord. Across denominational lines and all of that, Lord, it's about you, Jesus. It's about you, Jesus. And so we just pray, God, that people would come to know the truth of the good news of the gospel this morning and this day. To every tribe, to every tongue, to every nation, we pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, we're going to be in a couple places, but Luke 19 is where we're going to start. Sorry, Rayanne, I tend to move a lot, so 
she's going to have to try and keep up with me. <laughs> and the title of this message this morning is called, What Makes Heaven Rejoice? And rejoice, you know, it's a fancy word. I hear Christians say it. What does that really even mean? It simply means to be full of joy. I like one, one definition of it is to thrive. What makes heaven full of joy? Rejoice is also a celebratory word. It's a cause to celebrate. What makes heaven rejoice? That's our kind of goal of, of, of where we're going, but we're not going to start there. Um, we're going to start at a place where, to be honest, just my conversations with my kids this morning, I don't know for you parents out there if you ever ask, like, especially with December and Christmas around the corner, like, why did Jesus come? Like, why do you think he came, guys? And you have, I have a five, six, seven, and eight-year-old, so the, the responses are a wide array. Um, but, you know, obviously, like, people, some of the kids, oh, because he loves us. Amen. This is true. He wants to forgive us. He wanted to tell people about God, to die on the cross, and these are all true. But I love that we get to study the Word of God, that we get to carry Bibles and we get to read them, and we get to hear Jesus' words about why he said he came. Because that's really important, right? We can have a lot of ideas about God, but this tells us what God really thinks. You can hear things and have, say people have feelings and other things, and God can use those things, but this is the truth right here. And so in, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus tells us after meeting with a, a famous tax collector in that city of short stature, who we sing about in kids' class. A wee little man was he, right? Zacchaeus. Jesus said, I'm going to your house, Zacchaeus, and I'm going to eat with you. And people were grumbling about it. Doesn't Jesus know that that's a tax collector? That he's corrupt? That he's ripped us off? That he's a sinner? That he's a terrible person in, our, in that culture, in that society? And in John 9, I'm sorry, excuse me, Luke 19.10, Luke 19.10, he says this, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I'll read that one more time. For the Son of Man, Jesus, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. To seek, to search to pursue with intentionality. We all have good intentions with certain things. We want to do good things for people. We have good intentions, and we might start off with a lot of zeal, but we kind of tuck her out, right? Jesus had this great intention in pursuit that I want to pursue people. I want to seek after them for the purpose of what? Saving them. You and I know people there may be people in this room who are not yet saved, who do not have a relationship with God. That's a, a fancy word that we use for getting reconnected back with God. But that is the express reason why he came, to pursue you. And it's not just the lost as far as that don't know him yet. Even us as his disciples, even us as Christians can get lost. We can lose our way. And he continues to pursue us. And I love that he says save. I mean, he's Jesus, so of course it's going to be good what he's going to say. But save, because we need saving. We need saving from something. 
We need saving from a path, from a way of thinking, but we also need saving to something. And he saves us to himself. So it's according to his ability, his great pursuit of us. And that doesn't stop at the point of where we pray a prayer. That continues on as we follow him. And so so this, this passage of why he came, it's good news. It's good news. This is the gospel. This is what gets, we get excited about. Spoiler alert, this is what heaven rejoices about. People responding to the gospel. I rejoice over other things. I rejoice when my, my teams win. I rejoice when like awesome stuff happens and God does miracles, and we should. But what does heaven rejoice over? We'll talk a little bit more about that. But what does it mean really when we say lost? Because Zacchaeus, I mean, he had money, right? The Pharisees, they had stuff. They had their religion and stuff. What does it really mean to be lost? Well, I think as it's something that we can all relate to collectively. You see, the, it's been said that the, the ground or the, the floor, the ground at the cross is level because we are all in need. And we can all relate to loss. We've all lost somebody. We've all lost somebody we loved. We've all lost something. You remember when mom used to like write in a marker on your toys so that you didn't lose them or put your name on the tag of your shirt? Maybe your mom still do that, but for some of you younger people. But it's like, so we didn't lose it. We don't lose it. And so there, there can people be people who are knowingly lost. There can be people who are unknowingly lost. We can all relate to having lost something. We can feel lost. I think there's people in this room today that have felt alone. You know, during the holidays, it's, they've done studies on it, and I don't have ex- exact references, so I apologize. But how it's also a season of depression for those that don't have anyone. To feel lost because I'm not around family. Anyone feel lost? You don't have to raise your hand. To feel alone? You see, it's something that we can all relate to. So what is, what is Jesus? If Jesus wants to pursue those people who are lost and to save them to something, what, what is my role in that? How, how do I respond to that? What's my heart? What's my intention for people? He's the hero, guys. He's the hero in the story, and we'll read, we're going to read about that. If you go back to Luke 15, I don't want to get too far off track because, again, we're talking about what, what makes heaven rejoice. And he'll give us an indicator here in this, the text we're going to read. We're going to read verses 1 to 7 first. And this, this passage, this chapter of Luke chapter 15 is about stuff that's lost. It's about things that become lost. So let's read it together and we'll, we'll kind of ex- dig in it. Um, verse 1 of Luke chapter 15. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, 
he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. I want you to notice the context of what Jesus, what's going on in, around Jesus. So we're all on the same page. When Jesus was on this earth, walking around, teaching people, doing miracles, there were the multitudes that would follow him for a season when things were hot, when things were cool. But oftentimes when they didn't understand, they kind of would slowly trickle away because I don't, I don't understand what he's doing. I don't understand what God's doing. And so they would fall off. Then you had the disciples who clearly we can read if you've, if you've read the Gospels, they didn't really understand a lot of what Jesus was doing. But they, they followed because they knew the things that they did. They fell back on what they knew. They continued to follow him. And they still made mistakes along the way. This isn't a, a, a relationship with God based on our perfection. That's not us. We're not perfect. The other side of it is those that had the access to the oracles of God, the religious leaders, who in their zeal actually created basically an in-group and an out-group. So it starts off, and that's where I want to start, in verses 1 to 3, where it tells us of two very distinct groups. Distinct in probably appearance. Distinct in reputation. On one hand, you have these sinners and tax collectors despised and having a reputation for being not good people. And of course, those on the other side, the religious people, were very clear to make that known to everyone that these people were not good people. Stay away from them. And so it rocked the boat when this Jesus came and he actually spent time with them. He talks about, he speaks about, he speaks as one having authority, not as one of us, but yet he goes and hangs out with them. And that's part of one of the reasons why Jesus came was to tell people to show people what God is like, to be among them, to speak to them, to tell them what the kingdom of God is like, what the economy of the kingdom of God is like, what the value system, and why it's different from the kingdom of that time. You see, that, that nation had become more like the nations around them, the kingdoms around them, than like the kingdom of God. And the same can be true sometimes in our time, right? We're, we're speaking, we're, we're going through Matthew on Sunday mornings in the series on the forsaken kingdom. And a lot of what he's talking about is, let me tell you what it's really like. This is what they say. This is what's being practiced. But let me tell you what God is really like, both in word and deed. And so in this, you have the group of people who are zealous and religious. And what are they doing, guys? They're complaining. On this side, you have the people surrounding him, listening to him. And those are the tax collectors and sinners, the despised, drawing near to be around Jesus. But here's the thing. In this, you know, nowadays, as, as I come back, you know, like I said, I haven't lived in the States for a while. Um, I'm a huge fan of genuineness and transparency, but sometimes we kind of take it to the nth degree, and it kind of just becomes a cauldron for complaining. 
Can I get an amen? <laughs> I mean, it's like, we want, let's, we should be honest. Yes, we should be honest. But like, if you notice, the complainers aren't near Jesus. The complainers are sitting off on the far end. Now, I'm not saying there's not a season and a time to complain. If you read the Psalms, a lot of them, David isn't like really stoked on his conditions and circumstances, right? But in that time, he said, there's always like that but. Because he turned and saw hope in God. That God, no matter what, you're still working. You're still doing something. And so I think there's going to be, an, God's not afraid of our complaints. He already knows our heart. But what the point is, is sometimes we can be, we can get, become a team of complainers where all we do is complain about why things aren't right, why, we sh- why it could be better, why these things are going on. It's contagious, right? It's contagious. Amen. But the other side of it is what? A bunch of tax collectors and sinners who have nothing to offer, not even their good works to Jesus, and they're surrounding him thinking, I want to hear this guy, what he has to say. And I love that Jesus is, he didn't address oftentimes those religious leaders with their questions because he answered the questions of their heart. They always had something, but oftentimes Jesus either responded with a question to what was the root of their accusation, or he spoke to them collectively. And that's what's beautiful about the gospel, is it's speaking to say, we're all in the same boat. Like all of us in this room need Jesus. Amen? All of us, no matter where you're at, we need Jesus. And so he, he collectively brings everyone together. He says, I want to tell you a story, which is in essence a parable, to make the things of God understandable to the people, whether it was the religious elite or whether it was these tax collectors and sinners. And then from verses 4 up to 7, he tells us of this story. And it gives us a glimpse not only of heaven rejoicing, but also of the heart of God for all of us in this room. And I just want to remind you of that this morning. It says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after how many? The one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. I want to stop there at the end of verse 5. So he leaves the 99 to go after one until he finds it. He's relentless in his pursuit. (laughs) He's relentless of his pursuit of all of us. We think sometimes that we're here to seek God. But can I tell you that he's already seeking you this morning? That from before, while you were being shaped in your mother's womb, he knew you and is pursuing you. And so your pursuit of him and seeking him, amen, that's good that you're here. But it's a response to what he has already been doing in your life. Not that it's been perfect, but that his pursuit of you is in care. You know, in John chapter 10, Jesus said something about a good shepherd and a hireling. He said, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep laying down his life, communicating his care and his love. And he also implied by the hireling is, oh yeah, they're paid. So they don't really care about the sheep. And when trouble comes, they just leave. But I'm the good shepherd. And here this good shepherd pursues the sheep until he finds that one. 
the value of one. And when he finds that one, I'm going to pause. How many of you parents out there, if your kids have gotten lost in the mall or some amusement park, when you find them, you're like, where are you going? What are you doing? What are you thinking? Right? Is that what Jesus did? He picks the sheep up and he carries it rejoicing. What does that communicate to us and imply? That he cares. His pursuit isn't one of, I'm going to be like, have, he has his like police siren on to catch you and to judge you right then and there. His pursuit of you is based in love. Yeah. You know, I was, I was talking to a brother earlier and he said like, yeah, like in 1 John, where perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. No, he's pursuing us with love, not with torment. He's not tormenting us and annoying us to himself. He pursues that which is lost. And then that joy gets extended to others. Hey, friends, hey, neighbor, let's come celebrate that this sheep, that this lamb that was lost is now found. Let's celebrate together. He throws a party. There's exclamation points. Before I met my wife, I have to be honest, I didn't have a lot of exclamation points in my life. I had a lot of periods. But now in text, it's like, whoa, I'm, I'm sending exclamation points. So now I see them in scripture. Like, whoa, exclamation point. He is rejoicing that he found it. He's rejoicing with his friends. And it goes on to say in verse 7, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So he pursues with love. Constant. Till he finds. And when he finds, it's not a rebuke waiting for you. It's let me carry you back to the way you need to get back on. And that's something I think we can all relate to. We can all relate to being or feeling or having something that got lost that's precious to us. And that's where it's like equal, guys, at the, at the foot of the cross. Hello? It's all good. That happened all the time in Africa. Um, <laughs> let's read one more. Let's read one more. The next verses about the coin. He's continuing the same idea. We're not going to get into the prodigal son. Sorry. Spoiler alert. That's a really, that's, a, that's another study for another time. But in 8 through 10, it says this. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Sorry, exclamation point. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over how many? One sinner who repents. One. I think it's important that we got to mention this word repentance. Again, it's a word we use in church a lot and among Christian circles and groups. But what does it really mean to repent? Because it's not something that we do as a one-time deal, right? Where it's like, okay, I prayed the prayer. I'm a sinner. I prayed that prayer. Yes, Jesus died on the cross. And then I turned away from my sins. But do we sin again? Yeah. Even after we come to Jesus, surprise if you don't know God and you're here for, and you want to know him and know about him, 
Like we are all screwed up in this room. Like we all still sin and we all need Jesus. And so us repenting means, repenting is a really fancy word for saying we're turning. Like we're turning back to him. Because often when we pursue our own things sometimes, and it may not be gross sin, we're not necessarily pursuing the path of the Lord. Often when we, it's more clear that when we pursue our flesh and pleasing our flesh and the desires of our flesh, that we are contrary to the Spirit, so we can definitely say that we're not pursuing God at that moment. But that there is, while there's breath in our lungs and a heart that is beating, there is opportunity even today to turn back to God. And who, who, who are the ones that he declares this truth, this parable to? The complainers? They're lost in their own way, right? They think they got it all figured out and they were lost because of their spiritual blindness. And to those that were sinners and tax collectors that had a reputation for being bad people. To both of those groups that were lost in their own ways, he said, this is what God is like. And in both of these stories, between this woman who's looking for her coin, this man who's looking for his sheep, in both cases, they value them to the point of relentlessly pursuing him. They care. In both stories, they, they care about that thing. You don't go searching for something you don't care about. You say, oh, well, it's lost. I'll just replace it. That's kind of what we do a little more in the West, right? It's like, oh, okay, I'll just buy a new one. It's all good. It's broken or I can't find it. But the reality is, it's like, no, that thing was precious to me. That object, that sheep. So I'm going to go off and I'm going to go look for it and continue looking for it because it's precious to me. And that's what Jesus does with us, guys. So for those who are spiritually lost, who have never pro professed and turned their heart to the Lord, to those who have and just kind of lost their way, to those who feel lost, maybe ashamed of something you've done, to those who feel lost or maybe you just feel alone today, guess what? I have good news. The gospel is that Jesus is still doing this. This is still his heart. And it's motivated, this pursuit again is not to draw us in by a chain so that he can spit fire on us in judgment, but to pursue us that we would know that we're loved and that we're found and to celebrate it. Put us on his shoulders and celebrate it. It just reminds us, and I think we do need it in this season of, of, of us all really needing Jesus of as we meet with people and as we get ready for giving gifts and those things, those are all great. But it reminds us that God gave his most precious gift in his son. And that son continues to pursue us. And that he pursues those in our lives that are lost. Anyone can relate to that? Anyone got any loved ones in your life that are lost? You, anyone feeling lost? Anyone feeling alone? So good, we're all in the same boat. You see how the gospel works? And the same way out, 
The same solution is found in one. You know, in John 14, verse 5, Thomas said this. You don't have to turn there, but he said, Jesus, like, where are you going? How, how will we know the way that we're supposed to go? You hear that tone of lostness? How, how are we supposed to know the way? Jesus said, Thomas, I'm the way. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. You want to know the way back? If you've lost the way, turn back. As you have breath, as you have heartbeat, there is room for that mercy. You see what those Jewish leaders do? The problem with their message that they were preaching that was not the gospel, it was works, it was religion, is that there was no room for repentance. No heart for the sinner. Because why? It developed and cultivated, I don't want to be around you because I don't care about you. But for the sinner, it was like, whoa, this message, this Jesus, he's, he's different. And I want to just sit around him and be with him and share food with him. And that's what people need in this season. That's what people need reminding of. And so that, this is what makes heaven rejoice and kind of wrapping things up. This is what makes heaven rejoice, is what? How many? One. One sinner coming to repentance. One person turning back. It's interesting because in the story of the woman and the shepherd, they're both pursuing that which is lost, which is true. God is doing that, right? But then the one repenting, the repenting is what after persons giving, they respond to that pursuit. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Responding, one person responding to that pursuit. Man, angels in heaven are like throwing a party. We were talking about it in, in men's study on Monday about like how, man, all of the stories you read in Acts, you're like, this is ridiculously awesome. That guys are getting brought back from the dead and people are touching clothes and getting healed and all of these things. And it may happen, but the Bible never indicates to us that the angels in heaven are being like, yeah! Like when we see it, we're like, this is amazing! Like if someone came up right now, and we're just completely, we would just be in, some people would be in tears. And it doesn't mean that God's still not healing people. Please don't misunderstand. It doesn't mean we don't pray for healing. What I'm saying is, the angels were there when God spoke creation into existence. They were there. They saw the fall. They were a part of all of that. And so for them, it's like, what? A sinner came to repentance? This is awesome. And we're like, man, that guy got healed from his cold. This is awesome. But do we celebrate? And I don't want to like put the burden on us. So please don't make, take this the wrong way. But you see how we celebrate the physical things being taken care of. But what about the spiritual things? Because a person can be healed physically, but what? Never come to know God. A person can be provided for practically and have a financial miracle, but actually never turn from their sin to Christ. So what, what is it if you gain the whole world, but lose your salvation, lose your soul? So here's the deal, guys, that I want to like lay before you this morning. And bring it all back. Heaven rejoices. The economy of heaven, the culture of our King, rejoices when one 
comes back. So without compulsion, without emotion, I want you, as we're going to take communion in a little in a little bit, to search your own heart. Like, am I lost? Have I lost the way? Was I once kind of walking in the spirit and now I'm trying to do something else? Or or have I never come to God? Do I feel lost? Do I feel alone? What does he do with the person that he finds or the, the sheep that he finds? He carries it, right? He's there. As you're answering, as you're going through your mind with those questions, and as we take communion, I just want you to be encouraged this morning with the goodness of God, that he's pursuing you, and that's the good news, okay? He's pursuing you right where you're at, and that that's the message. He is the reason. Sorry to do the cliche. He's the reason for the season, though, right? He's the reason for Christmas, yeah? He is, if he didn't come, I, I wouldn't have these conversations with others and with my kids about, well, why did, why did God come? We'd all be screwed. <laughs> but he's still working, right? He's still pursuing us, drawing us to himself, celebrating when we return. We've all been rebellious. We've had earthly fathers that, or maybe we haven't, that have tried to correct us. But this is, he corrects us in the perfect way, right? In the loving way, pursuing us where we're at. So I just wanted to remind you this morning what makes heaven rejoice and the angels rejoice and why he came. So you don't have to wonder, is it the will of God for me to turn back to him? No. You don't have to, 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 to wonder if, if God, as I turn back to him, is going to be shaming me and turning his back on me. You see, no, what, what happens on the cross and what I'm seeing as I come back is, is not only is the, the receiving of forgiveness for our sins, but the covering of our shame. And the shame sometimes and the guilt keeps people from turning back to God. So let's, let's I'm going to have the worship team come up. We're going to pray, and then the communion elements are going to be here. And um, we'll please hold back from taking it right away. We're going to take it all together after they sing a song. But I just want to pray for any in this room that are feeling lost or that are lost or have been burdened for a long time for someone that you love that is lost, that he hasn't stopped and he won't stop. Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for just the simplicity of your message that it goes across cultural lines and goes across socioeconomic lines and just all the different lines that we can create as obstacles to you. And that it's equal footing at the foot of the cross. I also thank you, Lord, that you pursue us with intention. You pursue us with love that we might come back to you that we might know you. And I thank you that when you find us, when we turn to you, Lord, you celebrate. It's not a shaming party. It's a celebration party, a party of thriving and fullness of joy. I thank you that you're not of this world and your kingdom is not of this world. I pray, Lord, that you would awaken us back to your heart. I pray that you would awaken us to your love this morning. And I thank you for the privilege we have of taking communion together. So 
Um, just want to acknowledge you, Lord, and what you're doing. Pray that you'd be with your people, Lord. You'd cause them to respond to your pursuit of love for them this morning.